0: to Line by Line, where we explore the visual and performing arts world. I'm Dr. Tony Grao Sutherland. And today we have a couple of guests. Uh, we'll start with Dr. Kendall Moore, who is a music professor here at Houston Community College. And then later we'll also talk to Sarah Baus, who's also a music professor here. But first we're going to start with Dr. Moore. Welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you have a very uh, large background in all kinds of uh, wonderful performances, mostly jazz, right?
1: Yes, yes. Um, That's most uh, a lot of my background and particularly in undergrad and graduate school, but I play a lot of classical music as well.
0: We're gonna go into that, but before we do, I just want the audience to hear some of this wonderful music. This, now you are a great composer and arranger. You're also you. an educator and all those, but you I love your music. Thank you so much. We're going to just play a little bit uh, from one of the performances. It is a song that you wrote. Yeah. So uh, let's play it. beautiful music. Now, what do you call that? Uh,
1: The piece is called uh, Three Weeks Notice. Uh, It was a composition uh, that I wrote in 2008. Uh, The the title actually came from the fact that it was a part of a writer's forum In my master's degree, we had to turn in work uh, and one of those things was a big band composition and the piece was three weeks late. Uh, (laughs) It was one of the first things, one of the first major (laughs) product One of the first major projects I had to do, and you know I had two, we had two weeks' notice before it was a week late, so we came three weeks' notice. Wow! So it started the title became a joke, but I enjoyed the composition, and they recorded it, and I was really humble to really get to play that with that band. Really well,
0: that that is such a and it's such a wonderful piece. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk a little bit about the music, because um, I want everybody to know that you have all this wonderful experience. Number one, what's got you started into music?
1: I would have to say what got me started initially would have had to have been my, my mother and father uh, from visiting and going to church. Uh, I started singing a little bit first. When I started instrumental music when I was about 10 years old, I really started to practice and really became deeply interested in trombone as my principal instrument. And by high school, I became interested in how things were put together and how to write uh, I had some early attempts at arranging mm-hmm. when I was in high school because it was really fun. None of that work will ever see the light of day, but uh, but it was now really good know to get better. work. <laughs> yeah. No, well, now that I know, and particularly in this world of social media, you know, yes. nobody wants to hear that stuff.
0: Why did you pick the instrument, uh, trombone? Uh,
1: well, there was a our our band teacher uh, at the time. They would select. They gave you different instruments to try, and the mouthpieces. And I ended up buzzing really well on the trombone. Mm-hmm. I tried a few other instruments. I, the first instrument I wanted to play was saxophone, mm-hmm. uh, but that actually wasn't one that I tested really well. I got to try a bunch of the other instruments, and then I found that it was fun. The slide was kind of goofy at first, and <laughs> it was kind of a part of. It just kind of, it kind of just worked for me, and so I stayed down that route, and I ended up really practicing a lot and becoming deeply interested.
0: Well, I've got to ask. I'm not a horn player, and, and, and I could never, that's an instrument I don't even want to try. But I know that I, I see, I can see that the breathing and the, the mouth, all of that is such an important part of it. Uh, did that, I mean, you know, that's one reason I wouldn't do that instrument. So <laughs> how did that uh, play into, I mean, how? What? tell me a little bit about that.
1: I started, you know, learning how to play, uh, finding the link between uh, brass instrument playing, like your, your lips buzzing together, sort of like analogous to the, to the vocal cords, so it was, sort of became sort okay. of like a voice there, okay. and so practicing and working on that and finding that connection, it made some of the other things, you know, more translatable. I bet if you tried the trombone or brass instrument, you could get it. <laughs> But you know, it's it really it really starts with just trying to yeah. uh, really emulate the voice
0: and having good breath control. I'm s- I'm sure. Well, sometimes when it, when it works, <laughs> <laughs> when it works. Okay, that's usually the case. Okay, so um, anyways, you grow up, you have this wonderful, stuff. and then you you've got a doctorate. Tell me a little bit about your background. Um, you've got a lot of education, but you've also performed a lot.
1: I've been fortunate to have a lot of performing experience. Uh, and fortunate to have mentors along the way. Uh, My undergrad was at a school called Chicago College of Performing Arts. Mm -hmm. It was Roosevelt University, and I was a jazz studies major there, and got to play lots of different styles. And I picked the school because of my teacher, uh, his name is Tom Garling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I picked the school because of him and getting to play in the city. And so as I got older, uh, in undergrad, I got a chance to do a lot of these performing experiences and write for the different ensembles,
0: mm-hmm. and then I did
1: my master's and doctorate at University of Miami. That experience uh, in the master's was sort of a jazz composition degree. I got to learn how to use studio equipment, uh, write for string orchestras, write for small groups, write for big bands, artists mm-hmm. that came in, uh, and it was really kind of a trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of things were related to the deadlines and projects. and. I felt like I was really thriving in that world, so I knew by the time I was in masters that that was really what I was going to do, and when I did my doctorate, uh, I became interested in the studying of teaching mm-hmm. and what made things tick, what made improvisation, how to teach it and learn about the structure in that, and so that's what I did my uh, doctoral
0: essay on. And that's what I want to ask you about. I know of all different kinds of music, jazz is what you've really majored in. Sure. Tell me a little bit about jazz it to me is well obviously it's different than the other types of music but there's something special about it and also when you you were talking about improvisation uh we'll talk a little bit more about that later but what exactly would you say is the difference between composing something and improvisation and why does improvisation uh why does it fit so well with jazz
1: that sort of starts with um one of those one of those deep interest in listening to lots of different types of music uh, in with jazz, with the American art form, it has the ability to transcend genres. And But it's also important to remember that all of the great musics that have come with American music, like jazz, all included some improvisation in them. The difference between composing and improvisation. Uh, composing, you get to sit and thoughtfully over as much time as you want, craft those ideas and put them to paper. Mm-hmm. But at improvisation, you're relying on the intuition and interplay with the other musicians. Ah. So you rely on making those decisions at the time, mm-hmm. and so the judgments different. The criteria for what sounds good mm-hmm. uh, is different, and what kinds of ideas that you play because you're, you know, in, you're making this music with other people.
0: I have so much more to talk to you about. Uh, but we do have another guest, and then I'm we'll gonna have you back on together. So um, I'll save those questions for later, uh, but I'm gonna have you right back, I'm gonna have you back. So we're gonna have a very quick, short break. And we'll be right back.
1: Lisa, when she's not moving to a Zydeco beat, she's making moves towards a better job with a nursing degree from Houston Community College. Ça c'est bon, Lisa. HCC, for everyone, anytime.
0: Welcome back to Line by Line. Now we have another guest. It's Sarah Baus. She is a music professor here at Houston Community College, and she has a long background of of professional performances and all kinds of things, and education and everything. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're going to show a little piece uh, of what you've done also. Your main thing, if I understand correctly and you tell me, is that you are an accompaniment an accompanist an accompanist
2: <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people have trouble I'm with that, that word, saying that word.
0: So how many syllables does it have
2: <laughs> yes I'm an accompanist so I primarily work with singers my master's degree is in vocal coaching which means I play the piano but I boss opera singers around and tell them what to do
0: oh that's fun <laughs> it is fun <laughs> I'd like to do that. But they'd say, What are you talking about? No, I know. Okay, so that's very good. So that is her expertise. Now let's listen to a little bit of her work. Uh, She performed at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and this is a little bit of it. let sure. it's 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 wonderful how you work with singers tell me how do how do you work with that how do you go from your piano to teaching a singer how to uh, perform So there's a lot of different levels to it. So in order to do
2: the kind of work that I do in working with singers, you have to be an excellent pianist because we often are not given the opportunity to practice the music before we perform together. So there are a lot of situations in which a singer will come into an audition and they'll just put the music in front of the pianist. And as the pianist, I'm expected to be able to play it and support the singer and know where the singer is and stay with them throughout the entire time. Even if I've never seen the piece of music before, and even if they mess up and skip a line or something like that. It is totally so, <laughs>
0: it's totally amazing.
2: It can be a stressful situation. Um, so you have to have good sight reading chops, being able to just Absolutely. read something without having practiced it before. But there's also a huge language component to this. So okay. part of my master's degree was studying the diction or pronunciation of French, German, and Italian, because those are the three main languages of opera. Mm-hmm. And I don't speak German or French. I do speak Italian, but I learned Italian because of my study of opera. So you have to be able to understand and opera singers have to be able to sing in all of these languages, even if they're not native speakers of those languages. So in order to sound convincing to a French audience, if you don't speak a word of French, you have to be very specific (laughs) with the shape of all the different vowels and how you use your accents and everything in, in the correct way. So singers have to use their ears not only to sing in tune and to sing the correct notes, but also to shape the words
0: the way that's correct for the different Languages they sing in, and that was another fascinating thing uh, I, I read in your bio that uh, you minored in foreign languages. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you travel a lot and have traveled. In fact, you just came back from Paris. I did just just forty eight hours ago. So. Well, t- <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about again. You you touched on it, but how does that uh, the foreign language? I would think that being in a country and understanding the culture also helps with that. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Interpretation. Yes,
2: well and we also have to remember that the composers who were writing operas in French and German and Italian, Mm -hmm. they were living at various times throughout history and the things that were going on in the world politically and also other movements in visual arts or in literature or philosophy are going to influence the quality of the artwork that's being produced in that time. Mm -hmm. So for example, Verdi was a very famous composer of Italian opera Mm -hmm. writing around the end of the 19th beginning of the 20th century and his operas are very heavily influenced by the political climate of the day because Italy was kind of a mess at that point in history Mm -hmm. and so his operas became a symbol for Italian independence Mm -hmm. and so you're exactly right that living in the place or at Mm -hmm. least being familiar with the culture Mm -hmm. helps you put yourself in the shoes of the people who might have been living and working at various times throughout history. Also just being on the streets in Italy I've traveled in Italy most extensively hearing Italian being spoken around you from the people walking on the streets and in the shops helps get your ear uh, acquainted with the very particular accent Mm -hmm. of an Italian speaker. Mm And that's going to help you then sing better in Italian. Or right. for me, when I'm listening to a singer, can hear that maybe that word sounds just a little bit off. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound quite Italian enough. And they need to change a certain thing about how they're pronouncing that word to
0: right. make it sound even more Italian. Oh, that is wonderful. So uh, do you sing? Did you uh, learn? I, I I would think that you learned voice also. Nope. No. <laughs> Nobody See, wants that, to hear I'm you sing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you so... Your main thing is to help them with pitch, I assume. Mm -hmm. Pitch, diction, and acting. How does... I, I know, but I want the audience to understand, how does acting play a part in singing? Absolutely. that's It's <laughs> super important. I like to say that if I do my job well
2: as a vocal coach, mm-hmm. then the voice teacher who's helping a singer with the mechanics of singing, like mm-hmm. breath support and everything, mm-hmm. will only have to focus on technique in their lessons. They won't have to fix any problems with diction or with acting or anything like that. Acting is super important because opera is essentially a play that right. instead of the words being spoken, they're going to be sung. Mm-hmm. And if you go downtown to the Houston Grand Opera and you see, for example, La Favorite, which is coming up soon, mm-hmm. um, it's a beautiful opera, it's in French. Do you speak French? No. You're not going to understand every single word that's happening, um, mm-hmm. that's being sung on the stage. And so when you go see the opera downtown, if you're listening to this opera in French, there will be supertitles above the stage that shall tell you what words are being said. Mm-hmm. But if it's a really sad song and the words are saying, I'm really sad, I'm crying a lot because my boyfriend just left me or whatever, if the actor is just standing there singing it to you with no emotion on their mm-hmm. face you don't believe them at all right. but if the actor has conviction in their movements both mm-hmm. with their body physically if they're moving around on the stage mm-hmm. and with their facial expressions then mm-hmm. you can relate to this music so much more even mm-hmm. if you don't understand French at all mm-hmm. even if maybe the plot is difficult to follow or you don't know exactly what's going on in mm-hmm. the big picture that one moment of the opera can be really impactful if their acting is convincing right uh-huh. so as a pianist I sit and I listen not only to what they're singing, if their words are correctly pronounced, but then I also have to look at them and make sure that they're not just standing there completely stiff and not putting any emotion behind
0: it. That's wonderful. And, and you know, I teach drama, and I, I say one type of, of, of drama is one type of drama is opera. It's just mm-hmm. all singing, yep. but there's still the acting. I mean, that's it, you're you're performing a play, but it's all through mm-hmm. music. Yep. Uh, very outstanding music. Well, um, I'm gonna bring both you and uh, Dr. Moore back, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about the music department at HCC and a little bit more about uh, y'all's experience. Thank you So so much. We'll be back.
1: Meet Wally. He's a single dad. He's also a role model for his five-year-old son, going back to school with him. This time, Wally's going to Houston Community College for a second career. HCC, for everyone, anytime.
0: I've seen people's lives change just by attending a class at HCC.
1: Some of them
2: might not have the financial means to go to a four-year university. That doesn't make them any less, quote unquote, smart
1: than the kids who go to a four-year school.
0: HCC is easy to get to. It's easy to apply and easy to become a part of. It gave me so much confidence.
2: Once you finish your two years there, you can transition into a four-year university or go into the workforce.
0: It's affordable, it's accessible, it changes lives.
1: Meet Bethel. She has a passion for fashion and a need to succeed. So she's going for two associate's degrees at Houston Community College, fashion design and merchandising. HCC, for everyone, anytime.
0: Welcome back to Line by Line. Uh, now we have both of our guests. We have Sarah Baus and we have Dr. Kendall Moore, both music professors at Houston Community College. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's so much fun to Thank talk you to have. y'all. Let's talk a little bit about the students, HEC students. Uh, That's who we're here for. Uh, One of the things I wanted to ask uh, you, Dr. Moore, was about um, digital software, audio digital software, like Pro Tools and some of the others. I know that uh, you know those programs well. Is that something important that new musicians or whoever should learn, how would that help them?
1: I'm glad you you asked about uh, music technology uh, in the curriculum, uh, because as a musician, a modern musician today, uh, we aren't just developing skills for artistry, you know, students understanding and appreciating different styles of music. There's also, um, and what I'm noticing with uh, my students here at HCC, is also it's very important to develop a skill set for practical solutions for vocation outside of school. And if you understand these music technology things, particularly if you can record yourself using Pro Tools, um, if you can record and write your own music using a software like Finale or Sibelius, Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of things that you can do once you've completed the two-year curriculum of theory. Uh, You can learn how to transcribe music. You can learn how to to arrange. um, You've got enough of those skills to put together a freelancing career as a musician, so these are real life skills that they can develop for
0: How big is the need, or once you get this degree, tell me about, because um, my mother always used to t- tell me when I wanted to go into drama, well you better get into, you better learn to teach too. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what, uh, what are the um, opportunities for the students?
1: Some practical ones uh, that stem from some of the teaching other than private lessons and those things, Uh, One tangible skill is the arranging component. One of the first jobs that I got as a musician, as a writer, was uh, transcribing, so finding the recordings off of a piece of music, taking all the parts off of a piece of music, and making a transcription and a condensement for a musical. Uh, I ended up being paid to do that and asking other musicians in that arena what to charge, and to be what was fair and so that was a tangible career move for me was to realize that i could piece together all of these different things to do
0: now transcribing in music means what again
1: uh transcribing in music is let's say you've got a there's a recording you listen to a recording okay it's identifying all the individual parts okay uh identifying the harmony and rhythm and melody that happened there and then putting those into something that can be written or read by someone else so you would take a software like Sibelius or Finale. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a free one called Muse Score that's really great as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the students would take that, uh, someone could take that music and write those things down for another ensemble to play that exact piece.
0: How neat. That's very neat.
1: And a very useful skill.
0: Very good. And then also, uh, I'm going to ask kind of the same thing with piano and and what you you teach. What are some of the opportunities out there? And I, I assume that the Technical software is also important there.
2: Absolutely. Well, piano skills are very useful when it comes to doing transcriptions Mm -hmm. and the like because there are ways to connect an electronic keyboard to your computer. And then if you play something, the program will automatically write down what you're playing. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a pianist by trade, um, you can still use piano skills in that kind of situation. And that's why most music majors who, well, all music majors who are not piano as their primary, who do not have piano as their primary instrument have to take four semesters of piano. Piano right. class. <laughs> And that class is really, really valuable to help develop students' ears. Mm-hmm. Um, as a class piano teacher myself, I incorporate a lot of aspects of music theory and aural skills in my piano class. Mm-hmm. Um, so students are not just learning how to push keys on a piano. They're right. applying what they're learning in their academic courses to piano class. Um, and also with piano skills, or if you are a piano major, that's your primary instrument, accompanying is a really, really great way to make money. That's mm-hmm. what my job was all through my undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. I was considered probably the best student accompanist at Belmont University where I did my bachelor's degree. And I made a lot of money, especially at jury time, playing for violinists and trumpeters and saxophone players and singers. I was very busy, but that really equipped me then in my master's degree when I had to play... For many different singers and many different productions all at the same time, I was able to juggle that load and balance everything that I had to do. If you are a great pianist, you can also get a job playing at a church. I mm-hmm. currently have a church job, and it pays well, and it's a great way to get involved in the greater community wherever it is that you live, and especially if you're a church-going person anyway, then it's a way to turn exactly. something that's already a part of your life into, into a, um, a job or a paying position. And, of course, teaching. As you said, your mom's told you to learn how to teach, and that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely important. I don't know any musician who has been successful. In making a living only performing and yeah. not doing any teaching right. or anything right. in the side. Right. Teaching in a classroom like what Dr. Moore and I do at HCC is a different skill set than teaching one-on-one as well. True. Yes. And so I teach uh, piano lessons to four-year-olds, I've taught students with special needs, I've taught adult students and kind of everything in between. So learning how to reach different kinds of students individually is also great and it's very personally fulfilling. It's tiring, it's not easy work. Don't let anybody ever tell you that maintaining a studio <laughs> of 30 piano students is easy. (laughs) Um, but it's a lot of fun and it's another way to pay the bills using music if you're not just on stage
0: well speaking of teaching I understand that you put together a curriculum for I think music uh, literature yes tell me a little bit about that and and what inspired you to do that
2: Well, what inspired me to do it was our former chair, Dr. Jaber, and our current um, dean, Dr. Riley, asking me to do the course. Okay, that's (laughs) a good
0: inspiration.
2: (laughs) I had had never developed a curriculum before, and Dr. Jaber, um, who was the chair at the time, came to me and said, you're creative, I want you to do this. And I was kind of like, I don't know what to do, this is crazy. (laughs) Um, But I've always been a big nerd about um, art, visual art, and literature. And so I decided to look at music broken down into the typical time periods that everybody studies in music history classes, Mm -hmm. the Baroque, classical, romantic, and contemporary time periods, Mm -hmm. and look at the um, philosophical thoughts that were going on in those time periods, the historical, major historical events, things like the Renaissance and the Reformation, um, and look at how those philosophies and how those historical events impacted the art that was going on at the time. So in music literature, both music majors and non-music majors come together to really dive into music history in depth. And we look at how to listen to music, what all the different instruments you're listening for, ways to describe music using words that and adjectives that maybe we don't always associate with music, things mm-hmm. like Warm or bright. Learning how to assign those right. kinds of adjectives to music. Learning how to comparatively listen. So listen to two pieces and compare what's similar and different about them. And then after we lay that foundation, we really dive into each time period um, in a very detailed way.
0: How does a non- like you say a non music major? Why is it important that they take music?
1: To have an understanding of music is to have a cultural uh, sort of have a cultural key into the world that you can then enter. Uh, Understanding what was going on at the times through those musics uh, helps you become a well-rounded citizen and there's nothing more important than understanding the society that you're around and what's come before so you know where things are going.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. And I wish we weren't out of time. I could have spent another 30 minutes talking to you guys. But thank you so much for being on the show. Thank
2: you so much for, having, for us. having us. And
0: thank you for being with us. And remember, you can see us at hccs.edu slash podcast. And we're line by line. And we'll see you next time.